In today's episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Ellen Basher from Prescott College and Board of Directors of Arizona Association of Environmental Education, also known as AAAE. She is sharing her experience as an educator navigating through COVID-19 and how the community came together to provide a safe and inclusive outdoor classroom for public education students to return back to school. If you're interested in finding out additional information, you can continue, you can find out more about Ellen Basher through Prescott College or AAAE. I hope you all enjoy this episode definitely inspirational for myself as an early childhood environmental educator. Continue to be blessed in nature, friends. to the DRW page. I have Ellen Basher here today. As you already heard, she's in her office space and I think it's funny she's talking about White Claw. Maybe that's what we all want as professors right now, teaching online or whatever we're trying to do to navigate during these strange times. But I want to say thank you for being the first person to be interviewed on the DRW page. And this is something that I want to do moving forward is talking with other with other early childhood professionals, environmental ed professionals, professors. I'm naming at least three things that Ellen is a part of, and she does so many other things. So without further ado, Ellen, could you do an introduction? Because I mentioned to you early on before we did the recording, I don't even know how to introduce her. I don't even know where to start. So I'm going to let her describe the roles that she's involved in. That's fair, D. I forget. I forget all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, that too. <laughs> oh no, not that anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> hey everyone, uh, I'm Ellen Basher. I teach environmental education at Prescott College. Um, I'm on the board of directors of the Arizona Association for Environmental Education and our Greater Prescott Outdoors Fund, which funds outdoor initiatives. And I am the education director of our Community Nature Center here in Prescott, Arizona. Prescott, if there's any Prescottonians listening, make sure I get that right before they get me. So that's just some of those things that I do along with a lot of community and family, outdoor education and environmental education programming and outreach um and different things like that yeah yes okay so i want to share how we met because we met in january 2018 believe it or not and those of you that may have been following me along along the way i have a podcast and i've often mentioned ellen and sarah this is the ellen this is who i'm talking about yes it's her and so we met because I was a student of Prescott College and I've shared in the podcast like how disgruntled I was that I had to drive up there. But I will tell you it's the best thing that ever happened in my life. <laughs> I'll never forget because I'm the type of person if I have to dive into something new, I tend to do my research. And so I saw, I'm like, there's this thing about Summer Institute 
and early childhood? Why have I never heard of this in my life? And I did my research, right? I had no idea when when Ellen and Sarah presented that they were like the leaders of it. But once I figured out that they were the people, I'm like, I want to talk to them. I want to be able to like participate. And they were asking me to present and I'm like, uh, I'm just like barely in this. No, we just met Dee and we were just like, oh, oh, you got it. You got to come here and you got to talk to us. This is fantastic. So do you remember the first time we met and how that whole interaction went? I felt like I was still geeking out for days. I don't even know if you picked up on that vibe. No, you totally have a cool vibe. Like your geeking vibe. I mean, it comes out, but it wasn't coming out there. We were like, okay, we're super professional. Here we are at our meeting. We're talking about planning and leadership things. But then of course we were like, hey, we're into all the same stuff. Let's change the world together. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if it wasn't for meeting them, I, like I said, I they offered me a scholarship to participate and it was just like what changed my life. I say to people, I could never work with kids indoors because I know I know this philosophy about outdoor education because the Summer Institute. Um, so I would like for you to share with people what you've been doing with the Nature Center through Prescott in your community because that's a big, I feel like that's a, a space that maybe other professionals, um, whether it's school districts, educators, um, communities, colleges that they can really get behind, especially during these times of what we're going through. Um, in this whole narrative of like children learning online versus outdoors, or maybe outdoors is not even a conversation, but I was so impressed with what you have been doing in your community. So could you share that? Yeah, so <laughs> it's a journey, it's a journey. So um, basically, as was Dee mentioned, is that I was a program coordinator for our Center for Nature and Place at Prescott College for almost four years. And that was doing professional development for early childhood educators on how do you teach outside? Um, what is nature-based learning? What does it mean to be place-based? Um, you know, embedded in the local community, culture, um, eco the ecology of the local community, things like that. Uh, and then of course I'm teaching environmental education courses at the college. And through those, um, because our courses are very experiential and our students spend the majority of their courses in the communities studying, um, doing service learning and research, um, through that I made a lot of connections with our local school districts, um, with a lot of other teachers. And you know, over the past about a decade here in Prescott, that's really shifted how I see my role in my community um, and so as the pandemic happened uh, came on in um, knowing with all of my connections with you know the Arizona Association for Environmental Ed where D is on the board with me um, and a lot of those members of our organization work in parks and rec work in um, schools they work at colleges they work in nature centers I began to kind of think and look at what was out there in terms of resources and see what kind of resources we had in our community that could be leveraged to help our community in these really hard times. And so drawing on all of those and the reason I'm kind of giving this backstory is because I just really want to give the credit to all of those people and all of those organizations that 
gave me the tools and resources and ideas to do that. Um, I came up with this idea. And so I was going to just kind of part-time volunteer uh, using our community nature center, which is an 18 acre open space preserve. Uh, it was originally from 1974 to 2006, a nature center that belonged to our school district where the school district ran nature center programs. But in 2006, it was sold to the city of Prescott and has been relatively dormant um, for since then. So it's it's beautiful little place. It's got a tiny little cabin um, built by our high school shop class. It's still in quite good condition. And so I saw this site and I'd run some classes there with my college students and was like, okay, there's a lot of potential in this site. It just needs a little love and it could provide a support system right now for our school district, which has families who may not have internet at home, who may not have somewhere to go when family, the families are working and those, those kids need somewhere to be. Um, or for teachers who want to feel a little safer, more comfortable, or even just simply utilize the outdoors for learning as we move back into hybrid. So this summer I started just kind of as a, a passion project, um, reaching out, doing some fundraising, um, talking to folks in our community and uh, basically just putting in some manual labor too to build some outdoor classrooms. And so we threw a lot of work with pruning and digging and chopping and whatnot. And, Again, shout out to all of the organizations and all of the people who stepped up to make this happen. We managed to build two outdoor classrooms, um, move a ton of curriculum and materials on site so that that's ready to go for anyone who needs to use it. And in early August, we started running some emergency care programming for our students' families uh, that don't have somewhere to be. So this was during full distance learning mode. Um, and for that month of full distance learning, our students were there eight to three every day um, in conjunction with the school that's next door. So our nature center is next to two public schools with about well over a thousand students um, in kindergarten through sixth grade, all within about a five to 10 minute walk, depending on which school they're at of our nature center. So it's really just an ideal location. It's too perfect to be passed up for a resource that I could help fix up, which is my background and experience to, to share back with our schools. Um, and so through that month, we had a mix of distance learning. Um, we both have internet on site and at the schools. There were free breakfast and lunch for our qualifying students, you know, free nurse care, um, and of course, free Chromebooks and Wi-Fi to just support those families who again, majority do not have internet home, do not have um, adequate meals at home or do not have, um, you know, laptops or even a caring adult to be there um, because of working conditions or whatnot. So that's our that's our students who are with us and they're in kindergarten through sixth grade. So we have a mix of them. They come, you know, when we were in full distance learning mode, our, we had about anywhere between 25 and 30 students each day from eight to three. And then as we move to hybrid mode and we continue offering this because our students are only in school, either Monday, Wednesdays or Tuesday, Thursdays, depending on their name, we're continuing to offer this every single afternoon for the students. And in the morning they check in on their online classes and that includes those meals 
um, for the full week. Uh, Fridays, since there's no school, Monday, our school district now runs Monday through Thursday, we have full Friday programming again. And all of this is just outdoor and environmental programming. Um, you know, a lot of it is teaching some basic concepts that are involved in, you know, your ecological experiences outdoors. But at the core of all of that is really, really, really focusing on um, that social emotional learning uh, and reintegrating some of those social skills that even, I mean, our kindergartners have, in our program had never been to school. So learning some of those core, those core elements of how to be, how to share, how to, you know, sit in a group and listen. And then their older kids, like combating some of the social anxiety that developed over that really long period of not being around their peers. Um, and so, yes, we're doing a lot of environmental education and we're also really, really centered around finding support, stability um, and, and safe spaces to move back into kind of a healthy social engagement with each other. Um, because yeah, a lot of our kids, you know, there are, as we all know, as educators, young folks were, were not receiving maybe the same check-ins or the same kind of network of support that they might normally have during, during a school year. So we've been navigating that. And so as the school year started, um, yes, we're continuing our care models, but also there's been a huge, huge level of interest from teachers to teach outside. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's because they feel safer that way, because they want to give the students a chance to, when socially distanced and not moving, seated, have their masks off and be outdoors, um, or they have seen the really high stress levels um, and some of those kind of trauma indicators in the young people these days from being in a pandemic, or they are stoked on outdoor environmental learning and integrating that into the sciences and the mathematics. You know, we have a sixth grade math class that does real life math mornings. Um, so really supporting our educators so that they feel safe and they feel like their children's and their students' needs are addressed, that they can still do fun hands-on learning in a pandemic, that it doesn't have to be, you know, this a big burden to try something new. Um, and then of course, continuing that safety. So what I like to kind of wrap that bundle up um, is like, this is bringing together what I think are two of the greatest assets in, in America. And that's our public lands and our public schools. And in that kind of sector of, of support that's, that's inherently more equitable yes. when it comes to, to having access to, to things like this, that's kind of where I see that intersection coming in. Absolutely. I it's a long story. And then of course I'm teaching my college students who are brilliant future environmental educators so I can hopefully get them all into doing what we do, Dee. Um, yes. Getting out I'm there. Giving nothing but snaps and love because everything that you describe is what I would love to see happen in the community that I reside in. But I guess the question is, it sounds like you have to build those community relationships first. So, but this was like over the course of a decade. That's how you did it. So I think that's really interesting, keeping in mind that you have to start someplace. Yeah, I would say like that those relationships really, really, really helped, but even more so with this specific project, it was the listening that happened at the beginning. So as an environmental educator, I would love to be like, 
oh, let's have an environmental education nature center. Everyone can come. We can talk about pollinators. We can talk about invasive species. You know, we can talk about habitats. But when our educators are up to here with the standards they have to meet, you know, up to here with liability and all of that, you know, really, I want to just listen. And, and even though I could do a programming that was, you know, more in these fields, I wanted it to be where the teachers were and then I can bring that outdoors in to meet them. So sometimes we're in the outdoors and maybe we're t you know, doing base 10s. Maybe we're in the outdoors and we're just looking at you know, conjunctions and verbs or writing poetry that may not even be about nature. That's okay because there's the other side of environmental ed, which is that benefit of simply having access to the outdoors and being in the outdoors. So yeah, it was really like knowing people was really, really important, but no matter where you are in your project, just listening first is, is really key. Yes, I feel like recently I was asked to um, do a recording about like, how did I get into this work? And especially as a former uh, special needs preschool teacher, um, I had shared my story about how I, I had my students outside. And so the green schoolyards, um, program or movement they're doing I'm a part of their working group and their framework and what they're trying to develop everything that Ellen is describing there's going to be some sort of a framework that's put out there so people can progress forward in this work but I was asked within the working uh, group that I was in could I do a recording about this and so I did it was really interesting just trying to piece together um, why and how like what happened and so I was just describing like I had a lot of behaviors with students, um, but I knew about this outdoor work because I'd been attending Summer Institute. And then finally, I just said, we're going outside. And, you know, I'm formally trained in early childhood education. I don't come from this world of environmental ed. I've just been learning by doing. And so I think the fact that you described Ellen, um, that you just listen to people and you just help them understand like, it's not about me teaching the kids about pollinating plants or anything like that. Sometimes it's just having access and being outdoors. And I feel like that's what I keep saying to people is that it's just saying, go outside, teach whatever you were going to teach inside, but now you're just teaching it outdoors. You don't have to incorporate anything. You don't need to do anything, but just teach outside. Yeah. And so I think that's really important um, as yeah. non like environmental ed, folks are diving into this work or they're unsure because I feel like there's a lot of people that are unsure like I'm not going to get it right it's going to be wrong what if it's too hot what if it's this and it's like it's okay to just go outside the kids are going to yeah. get what they need out of it um and no and it's so true D like I see that once once they're out there you know then those other things become more natural you yes. know so maybe you did just go out there to do outdoor reading time but then they want to read more about something they saw or the yes. outdoor poetry does become poetry about nature or the question of what is that thing on the tree leads to a study of galls and the way in which galling happens yes. you know there's that happens but really like what you're saying is so key to just just try being out there and we can't ask that of our teachers alone i mean you had that like strength and that energy and that intention to go out there but a lot of our teachers may have that and just have so much other stuff on their plate 
that's kind of the problem right now is that we put way too much on our educators and we don't pay them enough and we don't give them the tools they need. And so really the whole focus of that was like, how can I take this weight off of those teachers? How can I make a support system for those teachers who are already doing all this great work so that they can maybe engage in some of the things that they want to be engaging in but couldn't because they don't have time to build an outdoor classroom. They don't have time to get all the supplies ready and cart it all out there and make sure that it's good to go before the kids get there. They don't have time to set up hand washing stations outdoors. Like that's not their job. They shouldn't be doing that. That's a job that like a park ranger like myself could do. You know, that's the kind of job that our support systems can then build and teachers will come, they will. But they're not going to come if we go in and we say, here's this great curriculum, you should try it. There will be those few teachers, but then they have to rewrite their whole curriculum to integrate it. They have to get the resources to do it. They have to remember all the stuff and they have to remember that this goes with that. And I just think that in environmental education, whether it's early childhood or on up, if we start figuring out how we can be support systems rather than coming in with our agendas, that those things actually come back and meet us where we were with our goals in the first place. Yes, meet people where they are at. Yeah. I, I feel like I say that all the time with students, with young kids, and maybe because I was trained as a special ed teacher. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> we you do where they're at. Remember, so what I've just been noticing is so we have an inclusive program. So, you know, we do have students in our program, predominantly like mild to moderate. Um, it's a good, good population, um, good portion of our population. But having worked with these students in the outdoors, so many of the things that are on their, you know, on their documents that, you know, this is the thing to be aware of. So much of that has not been surfacing in the ways that I've seen it surface in similar situations in the past. I know I see your snaps because I want you to speak to that as a special education teacher. Yes, I saw this happen pretty much within a month of taking my students outside. Um, A lot of the goals and it like goals that they had on their IEP goals, we were meeting them outdoors without purposely trying to make sure that they're um, working on their fine motor skills or working on their social emotional skills um adaptive needs i'm just thinking of random different we had but it was just like suddenly those same goals were going from like high needs to like we were actually meeting the goals without me having to make a conscious effort to make sure that they meet that goal it's that that's why i keep saying i could never teach kids indoors because the outdoors gave not just me as an educator but like it gave the kids so much and you know we can talk about the the experience of kids being outdoors now versus um, before kids were not going outside for whatever reason or maybe they didn't have the accessibility of going outdoors but it's just like the outdoors can really be a healing place um and that's what I learned you know, and that's part of the reason why, when the opportunity presented itself, why I started Outback Learning. Because I'm like, I want, I want kids to have accessibility to this. But even my narrative has adjusted and changed. I'm like, well, I don't want it to just be the kids that are in Outback. I really want all kids in my community to have access to the outdoors. Yeah. That's what I want. 
you know, ultimately that is my biggest goal. Um, well, and more than your community. I mean, yes. with the work that you're doing, you're basically like, and our whole nation <laughs> should be, have access to this if that's what they want. You right, know? Exactly. If that's what they want. Exactly. And it's not, like you said, not just here, but that's why I advocate. That's why if there's an opportunity to be in a working group, and if I feel like it aligns with what I truly believe in, then I participate if I can. But I just, that's how much I truly believe in it, you know? Um, that's what it boils down to. So I had another question for you, because you mentioned social emotional engagement. Um, and I, and the reason why I'm asking, because you know part of my background is that infant toddler mental health work too, or early childhood mental health work. Um, and I'm just very curious because you've actually had interaction with kids or with children. Um, I've had very limited interaction. My interaction is with my 11 year old. Um, but I've been having small conversations with other educators or uh, whether they're formal or non-formal educators and what the experience has looked like with kids going back. And so part of the conversations that we've had is like, do kids feel like they've had closure? Do the educators feel like they've had closure? Because I know like part of what's happening in many school districts is they're operating like this. And I say this because we're, we're zooming through a computer, but there are students that are reporting to school. They're still on the computer. The teacher is teaching the kids in front of the classroom, recording themselves for any of the students that are not coming to class. So you've got this hybrid online and in-person platform. And so, I don't know if people realize like there's still an impact when you're not having access to the outdoors. There's still this social emotional impact of like, but you're still in this like safety box or bubble of like, well, you still have to do everything online. So I'm curious to see like, what was it like when the kids, when the children first came back? What, what did it look like? I mean, and we can talk about ranges. No, it's so true because, you know, there wasn't closure and I don't think we're going to get that. Right. Um, but we do have new beginnings. And, and I mean, I just want to do a shout out to our district because they have listened and listened and listened so much to the community. And, and like the fact that this program, you know, the district just was like, yes, you know, let's formalize that intergovernmental agreement let's make sure this happens here's paras you know meals are showing up don't worry about it you know they just knew and and part of that was having a superintendent who's had experience with this and who knew had seen what the outdoors does for lifting up children who may not otherwise find that kind of leadership and connection to their within their learning um but when they when they first came back, I mean, we, it, you know, from a teacher point, it was like they're they were awkward, you know, and it was it was almost as kind of heartbreaking as we saw them, you know, with our older kids that would really want adult leadership for what kind of activity they were doing, you know, it wasn't that they would ever pick a partner, you know, they would never. Um, they wouldn't talk during it. They would follow the directions because they were just so much. It wasn't about that peer interaction. I never had to say like, hey, you two, I'm giving directions right now. Can you stop? Can you stop chatting? Just hang on to that until we come back. No, everyone was, was very quiet. 
I mean, and now we get a lot of redirects, you know, we're so excited to see each other. They know each other by name. And, but I mean, watching how we went from as an early childhood from parallel play, you know, just slowly, or even what was wild was the first few days of watching each other play. Like kind of oh. being like, oh, like they're building. And then right. I hadn't thought about building. I suppose, I, and they'd like pick something up and just keep watching, you know? Because wow. especially for our kinders, you know, they, some of them may have gone to daycare, some may have gone to preschools, but th the percentage of their life that was spent without that interaction with other children was immense in such an intense developmental period that watching them go through that reintegration into it, and now how they have these full conversations and imaginary worlds and just the richness of their relationships now. Right. Um, but it was a process. You know, their first week for them, I think, felt kind of awkward. Right. And we, you know, we did lots of name games and sharing about ourselves and, and, and partnering, socially distanced with their masks and all. But, but I think that it really had to be intentional. We couldn't just, you know, we didn't just do content areas. Those were thought out to be also socially engaging. Yeah. And, and even now though, I mean, we still, not knowing the students prior to our program, I don't know their developmental trajectory, but we have a lot of kind of individual regulatory um, challenges that happen throughout the day that we work through. And I've seen those positive changes happening over time, but you know, just a few days ago, I had a teacher reach out to me saying, do you know anyone in our community who does would come and do an outdoor thing around social emotional learning with my students because and I mean these are these are those older students who even they're feeling a lot of social anxiety they're feeling a lot of um, like be dysregulation in their ability to with both their bodies and then in their thoughts because you know primarily in this screen world we are semi self-directed right you know we are uh, able to focus, not focus, interrupt, move, whatever. And so what does it look like to shift both back into kind of that self-regulatory system, you know, whatever inner subjectivity, the, the world of early democracy. Um, <laughs> and, and also though, make sure we meet them where they are, like coming back to that, which is they need those breaks right now more than ever. They need those social moments to chat more than ever. Yes. So it's yes. been it's been really interesting, and I just like can't say enough about how important. No matter what your goals are, whether you know it was math or it was pollinators, you know that your that those students those skills come to the front of what you're doing right now because you can really tell how much our young people need that. Yes, that is such a good point. Thank you, thank you. And I think I asked you about getting started. Um, in doing this type of work, what would you say to someone that doesn't necessarily have the community connections? They're just like brand new to their community. Maybe they're familiar with outdoor learning already and they realize like there's nothing like this happening in their community. What would you suggest or recommend for them moving forward? Yeah, you know, really finding your allies. Um, if you're a teacher, reaching out to Parks and Rec 
um, reaching out to Game and Fish, reaching out to these outdoor or environmental kind of agencies that are around you, um, you know, whether it's city parks, state parks, um, whoever manages your open space, Bureau of Land Management, if that's near you. And don't be discouraged because I mean, you know this in your own school, like there's there's your allies within your school and there's the folks who aren't gonna be budged. They're gonna do whatever they were gonna do. Right. So if the first person you call isn't stoked, you know, maybe you call the outreach office, they're not into it, but then you call the land management or you call the coordinator or you call, try around because when you find an ally within an organization, they have the connections to shift those organizational resources. So like as a teacher, really reaching out to those um, those organizations and keep looking and keep poking around. Um, and, and second, you know, as, as one of those organizations, I would say pause your agenda because it's going to be there and it's going to happen and think about your teacher's needs. You know, are, can you get a hold of some white, like small outdoor whiteboards? Can you give every kid a clipboard? Can you have that ready for them? Yes, you can offer them space, but what else can you do to make that seamless? Um, can you go fix up something on their campus? Can you find a space nearby? Can you figure out the logistics of getting there for them? You know, there's a lot that can be, that goes into that and any of that that you can do um, and lay that before your teachers and say, hey, you know, here we go. And checking with them like, yeah, is this what you need before you do it? Those other things like more kids in parks or kids into conservation or, you know, changing your voter base, whatever it is, it'll happen. But by meeting people where they are in a time of need, you may find more ways your organization can be successful um and you'll have people be your allies down the road absolutely all right so i guess i just need final thoughts from you what are your final thoughts what's your conclusion <laughs> oh you know that's a good question i would say that really my conclusion is to not forget um the disparities that exist currently and and you know that are from long historic and systemic practices of intentionally excluding people from these types of programs and these types of spaces and these resources um, and be really aware of how that's affected people that you're working with you know it's not simply enough to say hey you know i want to work in this school because it's title one so i can help people who are from a certain demographic Right. You know, there's a lot more that goes into that with really, really listening. You know, are there certain cultural things that you need to be aware of? Are there some mending? Is there some mending and healing that needs to happen? Um, and really, really thinking about your investments because maybe it's really easy to get your private school or your charter school to do outdoor learning. But is that really also combating those that, that historical um, historical systems you know, around privilege and, and oppression, which are foundational to the success of a program. So if you continue on that trajectory, you know, if there's that we've seen in environmental education, which is serving predominantly middle to upper class kind of white communities, make sure that when you do this and make sure that when you're addressing these things that like forefront is what does it mean for this to be equitable? 
not what does it mean for this to be easy. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Yay! <laughs> thank you for being my first interviewee. I hope I'm saying that right for the DRW page. I'm, I'm quite sure we will have another time where, where I will talk with you. Yeah, we have so much to talk about, D, because we run so many shows. You know, this is like one bus I'm on, but like we've got another bus we're on together too, so. Yes, yes. I'm sure we'll do other things because like Ellen said, we're both on the board of directors for Arizona Association for Environmental Ed. Um, I'm on the membership and marketing group with her as well. She leads that community. That community that committee. It's um, a community. It is. It's like a community. And we're also, I and I, I know I'm going to mess this up because I say this to Lorianne all the time. I'm in the underrepresented committee. Like I'm a part of that with AAAE, but also we're working on the other big project with AAAE. Oh, the, the underrepresented, the story, the voices. Yes. 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 Yeah, y'all are doing so much good stuff in there. I'm excited for the, all of those blogs to come out. And yes, those. yes. But anyways, I just can't thank you enough. And I, like I said, I'm sure we'll do this again. And um, in whatever way, if you have something that you're like, hey, can I put this out? Can I come to the DRW page? You're welcome anytime. Anytime you want to share something. So, all right. Until next time, friends, continue to be blessed in nature. Bye. Thanks, Ellen. Dee. Bye. Thanks. All right, friends, I wanted to do an uncut version after listening to this interview again. So one thing I want to say is that if you want to see the visual of this interview, I have linked the YouTube video along with this podcast so you can actually see it for yourself. But I always love to do an interview and then listen to it back. And so it's been about six months since Ellen and I did this interview. And there, Ellen and I have continued to have this conversation about the outdoors and it being accessible, equitable, and inclusive. And what I want to say in following up after listening to it again is that it is so important for those of us that are doing this work in environmental education or in early childhood environmental education, whatever walk of life we're coming from doing this work, I think in order to make it more equitable, accessible, and inclusive is that we have to step outside of our comfort zones and start reaching out to our traditional educators. And maybe I'm calling them the incorrect name, traditional educators. But what I love about this particular interview is that Ellen was talking about how you know, oftentimes we create curriculum, we provide professional development, and we say this is all you have to do to introduce the outdoors, but that could be really overwhelming for our educators that have been teaching, whether it's one year or five years or 20 or 30 years, to suddenly say, just go outside. One of the things that I kind of want to stress um, that I'm very passionate about and what I really want to do especially even in these strange times or not even strange times, whatever we're calling it, is that I want to create a campaign and I had said it in this interview is meeting people where they are at. And what I mean by that is meeting the adults where they are at when it comes to outdoor education. And I want to I challenge adults to think about their own 
comfort level in being outdoors. And the reason why I say that is because oftentimes as adults, we are the ones holding the door, holding the keys, holding the lock that is preventing children from being outdoors. And so that is something I'm beyond passionate about. And as 2021 moves forward, this is something that I am going to be campaigning about. I am I'm all for um, finding ways that all children can have access to outdoors. There are still children that are learning online. <laughs> there are Head Start programs that are using tablets to learn, and they have been doing this for over six months. And all I can think about is if perhaps one of us environmental educators, if we would have went to their space or somehow talked to the people at the top of the food chain of Head Start programs and started talking to them about outdoor education, maybe Head Start programs wouldn't be focusing solely on four-year-olds that are getting ready for kindergarten. Maybe there could have been some programs or something where they offered something outdoors, even if it was 30 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour. But instead, many of these programs are on tablets, along with our public school systems. Another key piece that I want to mention is that um, when it comes to doing this environmental education work, it, it is really, I don't want to say it's foreign to traditional teachers, but I'm speaking from someone that worked in public education for a brief part of my career, and it is different. And if you're not trained as a formal, like formally trained to be a teacher, you don't realize like we're not trained to teach outside. We are trained to teach in a classroom. We are trained in our specific areas of what we're, whatever we're, we're studying to be. So in my case, I was trained in being an early childhood special education teacher or an early childhood education teacher. That's what I'm trained in. We had no conversation about alternative education. There was no conversation about environmental education. These are things that I have sought out on my own. And to be quite frank, at the beginning of this particular interview, I wasn't even seeking out environmental education. That was just something that happened because I was seeking my education in early childhood special ed and early childhood education. So I just feel like if there is a way to do that heavy lifting, um, what I will say is I got to participate in an amazing project um, during the summer of 2020 and going into early fall and working with the green schoolyards and creating these initiatives in order to help schools to create outdoor classrooms. I will link their information in this podcast as well. That way, if there's any educator that's listening to this, that's going, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? First off, I'm gonna tell you this. There are environmental education organizations throughout this United States. For the most part, I think there's representation for every state. If you can't find someone in your state, maybe start one in your own state. The organization that you can reach out to on a national level is NAAEE. And I'll be sure to put that link in this podcast as well. I'm saying this because I think it's important. We are six plus months into children learning on computers. 
I'm not saying I'm opposed to it. What I'm saying is there are options. And what I'm saying to educators and environmental educators is to start looking at other options. And it's okay. For some reason, we have this idea that all children have to learn the same, and they don't. Every child is unique with their own gifts and their own talents. And the same thing with educators. We all bring different levels of creativity and knowledge to the table, and we should be willing to share that knowledge to help others. One of my other points that I wanted to make before I sign off of here is that also I like when Ellen had mentioned that curriculum is not enough and the resources are not enough and that we have to figure out ways to create support systems and not bringing in our own personal agenda. So one of the things that I would like to do once, and, and I can't even say once the pandemic is over because none of us honestly know when it'll be over. But what I will say as someone who has been home for nearly a year, not necessarily the way I wanna live my life, but it's the way that I'm living it as someone who is severely asthmatic and I publicly say that and I say it proudly, is that when I do have the opportunity to get out, one of the first things I want to do is I want to go back to that elementary school that I used to work at. And I want to finish what I started. And before I even knew what environmental education was, I was the person applying for a garden grant and really had very limited knowledge or experience in gardening. But I knew it was something that my students needed. And I want to find ways in my community to create the accessibility at public schools, whether it's a charter school, a private school, whatever school. Because again, I just believe all children should have access to the outdoors. Anyways, that is what I'm challenging myself with in the next year. And I just want you all to continue to be blessed in nature. And I want you to think about what is your comfort level in being in the outdoors. And perhaps thinking about what have you done in your community to trailblaze or find ways for all children to have accessibility. And I think it's important to also keep in mind that oftentimes when we say the word nature, Sometimes people believe that they have to go someplace to be in nature. And the reality is you just have to walk out the door. As someone who has been restricted in so many ways, and I'm speaking for myself, my experience in nature has literally been walking outside of my door. The option of hiking sounded great, but I couldn't take that risk. So my point is, We've got to take out this idea that you have to go someplace to enjoy nature. Sometimes nature is literally walking outside. All right. Till next time, friends. You all continue to be blessed in nature. Thank you for your continued support for this podcast. And I'm super excited. I've got about 10 interviews rolling out in the next 10 to 12 weeks. And I'll see you guys next time. Take care.